Hey, listeners, welcome to a, an episode on the Leadership is Changing podcast. Great to have you with us. This week, I actually interviewed a gentleman by the name of Jason Hopkins. He's a motivator and a catalyst for cultural change within organizations. Now, Jason is currently uh, serving as the nonprofit president, CEO of NAMI, it's the National Alliance of Mental Illness. And he also is the founder of the Connection Project, which is a for profit company. Now, I shared, Jason and I talked about various things, in, in particular around mental health and so forth. But there were some really cool items that he came up with and some things for you to look at and just sort of uh, listen to what he's sharing. He talked about that everyone struggles, and it's, uh, that's, that's one thing. Another thing is about the need for us to unplug as leaders, as individuals. He talked about lending a hand down and pull people up. And here's an interesting thing, too, that he sort of finished off with, which is not all leaders should be leaders. So, listeners, hey, um, sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Welcome to another wonderful episode on the Leadership is Changing podcast. I have a wonderful guest with me today, and his name is Jason Hopkins. And Jason, great to have you here. Big welcome to you. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me, Dennis. Excellent. Now, Jason, whereabouts in the world are you today? I am in Denver, Colorado. Mm. And have you always been in Denver? I haven't. So I've been in Denver nearly the last 11 years. Um, I'm a native fifth generation Texan and was in Dallas prior to being here. And I have to say back home, I think it's about 98 degrees today, Fahrenheit. And here in Denver, it's uh, a lovely 75 degrees and sunny. So it's the perfect fall weather. Yeah, excellent. So you're in fall. We're in spring in this part of the world. And so we're going in the, we actually this weekend, we go tomorrow, we're going to daylight saving. So we're going as okay. we're going towards our summer. But Dallas, uh, I love that area in the sense that I used to go there a lot with, of course, EDS and then HP days as well, and just a tremendous place. And when they actually talked to me about moving to the US a few times, and uh, it was either going to be in the Bay Area, of course, with HP, but in the days of EDS, I was like being in Palo Alto, that area, sorry, probably in Plano and that area in, the, in Dallas. And I was like, oh, they said, where do you want to live? I went to Texas. And I went, what? I went, yeah, I want to go in Texas. I love it. And yeah, it's a, it's a great place to be. Yeah. It is a good place. Mm. Now, uh, we're going to be asking you a whole lot of questions today. But before we go there, tell us a little bit more about your background. So my background, um, long story short, is I had a, a career in heavy highway road construction and real estate and real estate support services for a long time. Um, when 2008 happened, that changed the world and lives of so many people. And I was one of those people that was also affected by that. And through the course of the next several years, you know, really went through a dark night of the soul that kind of led me to do the work that I'm doing. And from that experience, um, morphed into doing mental health supportive work. Um, in the very beginning, I, I will lovingly call it a, a breakthrough now, but I had what is known as a breakdown. And from doing so, really you know, had the good fortune of being able to decide what I wanted to do for my future, moving on and rebuilding my life. So the the foundation that I have today is really built upon 
you know, some of the darkest times of my life, but it has been related to mental health and supporting those who struggle with mental health. Um, so currently I wear a couple of hats. I am the president and CEO of the National Alliance on Mental Illness um, for NAMI for Arapahoe and Douglas counties, which is the largest affiliate in the state of Colorado. So we offer education, support and outreach services for people struggling with chronic or persistent mental illness. And then I also have a, an organization that I'm the founder and president of called Connection Project. And Connection Project, in its essence, was designed to simply strengthen and deepen connection to ourselves and others. What that looks like, tactically speaking, is we build social impact campaigns that connect vulnerable or marginalized communities to um, resources and support resources specifically that they can utilize in times of struggle and or crisis. And, you know, with what we've all been through in the last couple of years, we just see those needs continuing to evolve and expand. And so our work, while I have done much so far, I feel like we've just scratched the surface and, you know, have miles to go and how we, we better show up to support people who are struggling. Fantastic. This is, this is the reason, listener, why, listeners, why I got Jason to, to be on the show today is because from the work that you've been doing, Jason, I, I think it's very important, but I think it's very special as well, the, the work that you and the, and the organization is doing. And that's why I wanted to talk about this, this topic in relation to leadership and where we're going with the mental health side of things as well, because I don't know about you, but the way I'm looking at things that, and even with the pandemic that we've gone through, one was the pandemic, but I think there's another pandemic and that's the mental health side of things whereby, you know, people are going through all sorts of things. So first of all, I want to say to you, thank you for all the work that you're doing around that, the mental awareness, the mental health side of things. I think it's so, so important. And, um, we just needed more. I don't know if you know, but in New Zealand, we have one of the highest suicide suicide rates in the world, and if not, yeah, if not number one, and it's it's really sad to see. So cool. So we're going to get into some conversations here and that. Is there anything else in the background you want to share? Any any other passions and hobbies and things that you do? You know, I I'm a pretty engaged guy. I like to engage my creativities as much as I can. I'm an artist. Mm. Um, I like to paint. I love to garden. I really just like to be able to be out in nature, clear my mind, and you know, give myself an opportunity to reset, to do what can often be tremendously hard work and unpacking people's stories and the things that they struggle with. But um, I think it's all interconnected. And frankly, me taking care of me is as important as me taking care of other people. Excellent. Yep. Good. Good point. Now, Jason, how did you get into leadership? So, you know, I guess in retrospect, I've always been in leadership in some capacity. I've always been an entrepreneur, you would say. I worked in a, a family um, road construction business for many years. And in that capacity, I oversaw the um, work in our subsidiary companies and always had quite a few direct reports under me. And just, I think one thing stacked upon the other. I, I think I was was born a natural leader. I was, you know, president of honor society in college or, you know, different clubs and stuff. I just always have aspired to, you know, how can we take something that exists and how can we collaborate with other people to make it better, grow it, expand it, whatever, whatever the results or outcome we're seeking. Um, I like to be in the middle of that. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Very good. And tell me something, the leadership that you have today, how, how big is the organizations from by either Connection Project or from the mental side, mental health side of things, how big is your organization? That's a great question. So NAMI specifically, like I said, I lead the largest affiliate in the state of yes. Colorado. NAMI is a national organization and then has state representation in every state. But the actual work to support, you know, the humans that are struggling actually happens at an affiliate level. So the counties that I lead 
are comprised of roughly a million people. Wow. Um, so if you take the statistics of one in four, if that's what you subscribe to, you know, we have the reach and capacity to support, you know, a quarter of a million people. Most of my work is really done through community outreach and networking, and it is supported by, I have a wonderful team that is a group of contractors and employees who help support me, you know, with the various projects we have. But really, you know, as far as reach and capacity, we build, you know, digital campaigns, social impact campaigns that have the ability to scale and reach millions of people and have had considerable success doing that in either organization. Mm -hmm. That one in four stats, is that stats that are in the U.S. or is that around the world? That is that is what I know is U.S. stats. I don't actually know what around the world stats are. That would be something good to look at. Um, I venture to guess it's probably at least that, if not more so. Mm. That That's really what's reported and what we know. Again, I think the pandemic really changed a lot of things. And, and with mental health specifically, what it did is it it gave people an opportunity to talk about things that they're struggling with. And you'll notice I use that word struggle a lot. In fact, my connection project tagline is everyone struggles. And, and really, I have chosen that intentionally to get above the fray of just talking about mental health, because I think the fact of the matter is, is we all go things through things in life, you know, transitions, loss of a job, loss of a loved one, pet, relationship, you name it that we maybe don't show up in the best way that we want to. And there are things that can be a setback for us. And I don't think they necessarily imply that you have a mental illness or have sustained poor mental health. Um, but I think we have to change the lens of how we invite people to talk about things that they're going through. And frankly, the current system, at least here in the United States, always kind of begins and ends with scary, sad, and traumatic stories. And frankly, I think we can do better. I don't think we have to share, you know, our, our most painful points of life from this sad, scary, traumatic place. It can just be an experience that we're going through, and we want to be able to have people in places to unpack that and heal from. So if, the, if leaders are feeling or going through things, because I, I think sometimes it sort of creeps up from behind, and it doesn't sort of, you wake up one morning and go, ta-da, yeah, there's a mental health issue here, or there's something going on for you. It sort of creeps up. And I think for a lot of people, they don't know where to go, what to do, or even to recognize it. Um, where do you think they should go? I mean, every country is going to be different. Of course, the listeners here are global, so they're all going to be, they're going to be different organizations within their countries and that. But is there any you know, things that they should be aware of or they should be looking out for for themselves or even for their employees as well? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And there's a, there's a couple of things that I look at there. You know, the reality is, is, you know, for most people, when you start talking about mental health, the blinds come down for many people. So until it hits your home, you don't really know what the resources are. And I don't think it's something that people just seek out to learn about just because, you know, I can use my own personal experience as an example. I mean, I'm educated, successful, resourced, supportive family, you know, and when I went through my dark night of the soul, I literally had no idea about where to begin. And it was actually my mom doing some research and finding NAMI, and she and my dad did a course to support family members and loved ones. And then I joined a support group and then sort of moved up to now being the president and CEO in that organization over the, the last decade. You know, I, I think the, the internet is a, a wonderful resource or place to start, but I think it, it begins with first recognizing you are not alone. You know, I think so many of us, especially as leaders or entrepreneurs, we ascend in our careers and we think that, gosh, it's kind of the world against us. And from that perspective, you can really put yourself into a trap 
um, of recognizing that there are other people right where you are who absolutely will understand what you're going through. So, you know, if if you can get past the the reality that you're not alone and you can, you know, open the door and and you know, even attempt to look for some help to support yourselves, I think that's a starting point. What I will say that I know is nothing that we are ashamed of can live in the light. And, you know, a, a lot of times I think from that you that we are alone perspective Many people suffer far longer than they have to just because they're unwilling to to crack the door and take a look. So, you know, that's kind of first step. Second step, finding resources. I think it's important to look at what are the specific resources that are available to you and, and to have a an open mind around what are the steps you're willing to take. I mean, you know, traditional mental health systems assume that you might see a therapist, that you might take meds. And if God forbid something's bad enough, you might be in a treatment facility. I don't think everybody starts there. Um, I, I don't think most people end up there after steps two or three, usually. But I think you have to have an open mind about what are you willing to do. From from my perspective, in in some of the darkest times, I think things that we can start with: getting fifteen minutes of sun on your head, taking a walk around the block. Are you getting enough sleep? Are you drinking enough water? H- have you taken a chance to write down three things that you're grateful for? Because even in our darkest moments, we can find things to be grateful for. Those, to me, are kind of the self-empowerment tools that become the foundation for taking the next right steps to support yourself if you really you know, need some additional interventions. Yeah, wonderful that you're sharing those about the self-empowerment tools. You know, listeners, going out, and we talked about it in other episodes as well, it's really important that we do take breaks throughout the day. And especially if we're working from home, I think, uh, Jason, a lot of people are just stuck at their desk and they're on their screen all the time. Get out of there. Go for a walk for 15 minutes and get the sun uh, on you because that vitamin D is going to really help. The, the sun's going to really help. Sleep is a big one. It's huge. And um, yeah, we've just gone through um, over the last 48 hours, you know, so um, having to get up early to, to take someone to the airport 4 a.m. in the morning. Then we didn't sleep really all day. And then that night we were going to go to bed. And then then uh, we've had a, uh, we ended up in an A&E accident emergency for, because of something that happened. And and so we didn't get sleep till 9 a.m. the next morning, right? We were in there waiting for eight hours. But you could tell from the lack of sleep, we were just not right and it was just fuzzy. And and, and whenever I'm like that, I, I just know I need to have a big sleep. With the pandemic, when I got COVID, I know I knew that after the going through it all and coming right, it wasn't until I had 10 hours sleep that really knocked everything off on the head and I came right. And so sleep is a big one. And I think a lot of leaders are stressed. They're not sleeping enough. Water, great things, uh, really important to have. But then the three grateful things, I love that. That is really, really cool and really important for people to do. So thanks for well, sharing. And, and really where I come from in this is, you know, again, I understand all of the traditional interventions. And frankly, I have partaken in most all of them in my own personal journey. And, and those were hugely beneficial for me for the things that I was dealing with and the work that I was prepared to do. I think the thing that I have more clarity about and having done this work for more than a decade now is realizing not everybody is willing to show up and do that kind of hard work. And I think that proves out in what we see in the course of society. But but there's a couple of things that exist, especially post-pandemic, is one, the demand or need for support services far exceeds the supply. And I think you know, in all honesty, the fact that we have dismissed the things that we can empower ourselves to do or help ourselves in a moment, 
I think that has a lot of power to change a mood state. Like, I can't tell you it's going to fix anything, but I can assure you that if if you're having a stressful day and you take 10 minutes and go sit on the front step and unplug in the sun or walk around the block, you will have a shift in your mindset. Not saying it improves anything necessarily, but it will change and reset something in that moment. And And I think most people forget. And frankly, I, I just, I think it's, we're so plugged into other things that we forget that there are things we can do to support ourselves right here, right now for free that can make a difference in our mood state. Excellent. Yep. Thank you. Now, uh, this person could be alive or from history. Jason, who's your favorite leader and why? You know, I saw that on your list of questions that you sent over and, and I don't have a specific one and I thought a lot about it. And, and what I really come back to is there are many people that I admire. You know, I ascribe to a servant leader model and really believe that I am the conduit or the channel to do this work. And I find I am most impressed with other people who show up to help others first and then have a let's, you know, all boats rise together sort of philosophy. So anybody who, you know, really shows up in, in, a, in an authentic, humble, altruistic sort of way to help others, that resonates with me. As far as an individual leader, you know, I think it would have to be contextualized to what they're leading and what the situation was. But I mean, I can think of a lot of examples of people who just really show up to serve. And I admire that regardless of who it is, whether they have, you know, five followers or five million followers, it's helping others to me is kind of the forefront of everything that I do. Yeah, excellent. And servant leadership is really important. And I really like what you say about uh, helping others first. When the ri- the tide rises, all boats rise. I think it's really important. Right. Yeah. And um, I, 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 you could, uh, well, people today can see, and I don't know whether you, we call it a BS radar, if you know what I mean, that people can pick up somebody who's not there to help others. They're there to help themselves. And people aren't stupid. They pick up on that. Uh, indeed. If there was a leader in the world today that you know that really, really shows that servant leadership, would there be one that sort of stands out for you? I know that you're saying there's a lot, but is there one that really stands out from a servant leadership perspective? You know, I go back to the people that have a platform that use their platform to make a difference. And again, so many of those people end up selling something or promoting something that they've done, which is perfectly appropriate. You know, I think of the Brene Browns of the world or the Glennon Doyles of the world, you know, who really through their own personal struggles and journeys have recognized that they can take that power and that influence and make a difference. And they use their platforms to help other people do that. You know, I, I think that those are the the modern day examples of, you know, what we're living through. I mean, I, I, you know, I even think of somebody like Tony Robbins, you and I were talking about him earlier. You know, really, I think that that work is born of personal struggle. I frankly believe that when you've been through something and you use those experiences to shape how you show up to serve others, I think there's an authenticity that you just can't fake. And to your point, there are many people who are just not authentic. Mm, mm, very much so. Yeah, good, good points. Thank you. Now, the show here is called Leadership is Changing. Jason, when I say that title or that statement, what does that mean to you? Um, for me, what immediately comes up is I think leadership is evolving. Mm. I think we are being called to show up in different ways that frankly look like lending a hand down and pulling people up. I see the the people who I think do this the best are the ones that recognize that philosophy of all boats rise together. And I think that is is incredibly important as we look at 
um, recognizing that what we've all been through the last two plus years really did change us. You know, it's been an interesting experiment that everybody sort of wanted to rush back their version of normal. And frankly, if if that was the goal, I think we failed as an experiment because what we were doing as normal before, I don't think was sustainable. I think for leadership to change really looks like how do we do we integrate the the perspective of humanity with the experiences that we've all been through collectively to evolve. Mm, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Really amazing. And the pandemic is almost like giving us a wake up call. It's uh, it ha- said, "Hey, stop, stop doing that. Stop. Where are you going?" And actually, probably is a good segue into my next question here because I think that life, when as you said before, the normal side of things, very fast, and it's getting faster and faster all the time. And it's almost like we're allowing it to happen, but then it's just going for it. So technology, data, business, social, all of that is just happening faster and faster. And I don't know whether we've got the coping mechanisms to handle it. What makes a leader successful today in a fast-paced, ever-changing world? Well, I think to your point, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't think that we as humans can adapt as quickly as the technology is happening. I think we want to. I think we're, we're bought into the experiment and we're all on the hamster wheel. But as as far as leadership and really navigating those waters um, from that perspective, I think you have to be able to bring it back into human scale. You have to make it relatable. You have to make it something that people can see themselves in the project, see themselves in the experiment, and see themselves as a contributor to the bigger picture. You know, frankly, my organization, The Connection Project, we've done some phenomenal work. But I will tell you, by and large, what I primarily am is a data company. I have a tremendous amount of data that tells me about the psychology of the the humans that we're serving. And and what it tells me is, you know, we don't move as quickly as technology thinks that we should or, or could. And what I really come back to the things that people respond to the most is being able to see themselves in a connective way with other people that look and have similar value systems and have similar preferences like that that to me is it comes back to humanity yeah and i know that was a long way to say that but Mm. jason you know when you talked about the connection project and the connectivity side of things with the things that we've experienced the last two or three years around the pandemic and having to work from home and so forth do you feel that people are, are craving the connection piece they really want to be able to connect face to face and in person a lot more yeah, I think that we see that playing out. I mean, things are busier. People are out and about more. And I, and again, I think there's two schools of thought there. One, of course, there, you know, you take the introvert and extrovert model. There are always going to be people that want to be out and about and do that. And there are going to be people that are perfectly content that are are not doing that. I think the thing that is evolving, having kind of been stuck in our own lives for, you know, the better part of two years, that is important to recognize. I think people are realizing there is a level of inauthenticity in this false sense of connection that we've all been led down the path to believe we're getting through social media, through technologically, um, through the devices that that we're empowered with. I just, I, I don't think that that is authentic connection. There is never going to be a replacement for meeting somebody in person or having a conversation like this or making a phone call. And I think that we have tried to engage people. And in fact, we're creating, you know, alternate reality universes for people to engage in. I just, 
I don't think there's any replacement for the connection that is found, you know, in person or at least face to face with people. Mm. And and any other experiment that has attempted to do that, I don't think has sustainably played out to be a a an authentic, sustainable connection. Mm. Really good points, listeners. Jason's sharing some really great points, and if you if you're not taking notes, you should be because there's some really good things here. Jason, we've been talking about leaders, of course, and if we change lenses now and come from an employee's perspective, what's your thoughts around how is employees' expectations of leaders changed? I think employees expect a lot of their leaders, and I think that that plays out in do they respect them, do they show up for them, are they willing to support them? I think what the pandemic also proved out is that people can be productive in very different ways in very different environments, and I think leaders are being called to, again, see the humanity in their employees and realize that not everybody is going to thrive in a cubicle farm. Some people may do far better at home, and some people may need the opportunity to be in an office a couple of days a week or five days a week, depending on what their personality types are. I think from an employee perspective, there there is a a responsibility to have dialogue that goes both ways. And, and I am hopeful that what we've all been through is opening the door for people. I think we've seen, you know, the great resignation and mass exodus of people leaving jobs that they're simply not going to go back to the way that it was. I think from a leadership perspective, if you're not paying attention to that and recognizing is how are you going to uh, change, adapt and evolve to meet what is playing out in real life, I think it's going to be a really tough go on the employer or the leader side. Spot on. Yep, totally spot on. And I actually asked a lot of leaders of this because some of them are complaining that they can't find people, they can't hire people because, you know, the, the great resignation side of things. And Jason, I keep asking them, how have you been looking after your people? Have you been looking after your people? What's going on here? Right. And if not, you probably need to go and look at the, the reason that a lot of this is happening is go and look in the mirror. And they go like, what? Look in the mirror because the leader is one thing. It's one. There are some other elements as well. Don't get me wrong. But I think the uh, leaders do need to listen, as you were saying just then. I think it's really, really important. Yeah, big time. When I think you're dialed in there about the look in the mirror piece, I mean, there are a lot of leaders who have ascended through, you know, uh, up the ladder in their organizations. And and frankly, not everybody who is a leader should be a leader. Mm. But but I think if you don't open dialogue that flows both ways with the people who are working to help you create and build whatever it is that you're there to create and lead and build, I think you failed. You know, and and what people are looking for, I think more than ever, is a sustained quality of life. And I think that's only going to continue to play out as we have younger generations who are demanding and expecting quality of life over the experiences of serving in a job. Like, we're going to be forced to evolve, I believe, just through the the attrition of the workforce. Mm. You know, I, I think that's going to play out in pretty epic ways. Um, but I think the dialogue has to go both ways. And I, and I don't think that we always had a system that supported that concept. Yep, exactly. And I think there's a lot of people also leaving their roles because they've seen, like, the pandemic was given a bit of a wake-up call as well about them and their lives. And they realized, this is where I'm working. Maybe I'm not that happy. Maybe I'm a bit bored. Maybe I'm not getting what I want. Maybe I should go and do something else. Go and upskill with someone and something else. Or go and start my own business. Or just take a time, a break, take time out. And um, so people come from all different perspectives and all different things that they're wanting to do in relation to themselves. Sure. Now, Jason, question here, and it's about the future. And if we get the crystal ball out and we start thinking about the future and all that, where do you see leaders being in five years? I hope more evolved. Hmm. 
I hope recognizing that the people that they are leading are there to support them and together they can all shine. Um, again, goes back to that flow of information both ways. And, and, I, and I always find myself in um, the organizations that, that I go into and work in as a consultant or clients that I support or campaigns that we built. I mean, really, the strength of the outcomes is solely built on the backs of the people who are doing the day-to-day work. I may be the guy with the vision that shows up and says, hey, this is what I want to create, and I'd like us to collaborate to build this together. But the fact of the matter is, is the end result and the final product is normally built on the backs of work of other people. And I think being steadfastly aware of that perspective, that there is no I in team and it takes a village, not to be too cliche here, is really important as we continue to evolve. Because frankly, I think, again, what the pandemic showed us is that people recognize that they have options and they don't have to stay in jobs that they don't love. And frankly, I think younger generations have proven they're not going to stay in jobs long term. So the the turnover rate, just culturally speaking of, you know, new generations that are coming up in the world, I think the demands are going to be greater upon leaders to show up and meet people where they are, you know, obviously getting the work they need to get done, done. But I mean, there are some credibly talented people that can get you what you need if you're willing to be malleable about how you get there. I think that's really important. Excellent. There you go, listeners. Build a village. In other words, if you're not building communities and helping those communities and supporting them going forward, then maybe we shouldn't be leaders. Maybe we should go and do something else. Because the important thing here is that what Jason has said before, not all leaders need to be leaders or should be leaders. And I think it's something that we should think about and look in the mirror and understand. Now, Jason, hey, thanks for joining us on the show here today. If anyone needs to get hold of you, where should they go? It was such a pleasure. Thank you, Dennis. Um, so I'm easy to find LinkedIn. Um, my name, Jason Hopkins. My website is realpeoplereallife.org or NAMI ADCO, ADCO.org. You can find me in either one of those places. I'm super responsive. And, you know, you can pretty much find me on any sort of social media platform, but um, those are the easiest spots. Excellent. Jason, once again, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, listeners, thanks for being with us as well. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.